shares the gospel.
of establishing ministries, establishing things in the church, setting that proper foundation for years to come. And I believe that's what the Lord is doing here at Awakening Church of God. And, and, and I'm excited and, and I'm really uh, passionate about what God is doing. And also, too, tonight I'm going to be talking about the Apostle Paul, so I don't get Pastor Paul and Apostle Paul uh, mixed together. So uh, give me a little, little grace there. But kind of give you guys a little bit of what we've been doing with the young families and the young adults been meeting together. And I'll get back to some names here in the future. Um, but really, what one of the things that Paul really wanted me to do is he asked me, not the Apostle Paul, that Paul, he wanted me to uh, basically build a community, help build a strong community, strong relationships. I've been a part of some groups that have had some wonderful people, some wonderful groups, and people just love to be around together. And that is what we desire through these groups is a desiring. And so what we do is we meet on the first and third Thursday nights of the month at 6.30 p.m. One of the things we have is we have child care provided. So if you guys have kids, um, you don't have to feel like obligated to because your kid's going crazy in the middle while everybody's discussing. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some others. I got a, I got a seven-year-old Belgian Malamal dog, so it's kind of like the same thing. Um, and uh, so you, you, we have child care. We're going to have food. There's going to be dinner, so long day dinner. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, we're going to be able to meet and have a good time. And also something that's always been really important to me is to have biblically-based discussion. Because I believe when you get the word of God involved in the lives and the hearts of people, it begins to knit people together and it begins to grow. And next thing you know, people are being discipled in ways that you've never known before. And, I, and to me, that's something I think is just truly um, exciting to be a part of. And actually, funny, the first night we met, um, I actually led women's Bible study is really what had happened. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. It was me and five women. And I, I got the pleasure of leading. So next week, I'm going to be doing some women's conferences here soon, too. But fortunately, last time, we had we had some men. We had Ben and Paul came. And uh, but so, but yeah, so we've had more people. And it's exciting to see what all God's doing in there. And so I'm trying to, again, get off track here. So focus and and one of the things with our, our first discussion one of the ways that I always decide how do I approach and how do I talk to people what topics do we discuss is simply I know the people well since I'm a little newer to the church I know the people but I don't really know everybody and I don't know what's going on in their life and I can't say hey I see this in your life so let's talk about this and what I did was I just spent some time praying God, what do you want me to talk about in these first couple group meetings on Thursday nights? And as I begin to pray and I begin to seek the Lord, the Lord began to lay on my heart the church. And as I begin to think about it more and more, each week, that I've, the first two times we've met, we've talked about the church. And tonight, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something unique. And the Lord was like, no, I want you to talk about the church tonight. So my sermon title, and if you guys saw it up, oh, there it is, um, God's Purpose for You in His Church. And I think a lot of times in our lives, what does that mean to you when you hear that phrase, God's purpose to you and your church? And as I was teaching, there was one specific scripture that we've all heard, but it really stuck out to me. And I'm going to read this. And so we're going to be in actually Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And we're also going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. So if you guys could, it should be up on the screen as well. And if you could open the new app or your Bibles, whichever one. Verse 13 says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That is important, so pay attention to that. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, not Elijah in the back. Where, where is Elijah at? Uh, there he, I told him I was going to distinguish the prophet Elijah and that Elijah. So this is the prophet Elijah. And other Jeremiah the prophet. 
and this is a and this is the next part. This is interesting too. He said to them, "But who do you say that I am?" And so, as I'm thinking about this scripture, you know, men in the place, it's not who your wife thinks Jesus is. It's not who your kids thinks Jesus is. It's not who your friends thinks Jesus is. Your family Jesus. Jesus is asking, "Who do you say that I am? Who am I am to you?" Because that's what Jesus cares about. Jesus cares about who you say He is. Because you're going to give an account one day for whether you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. In verse 16, obviously, we know Peter in the Bible, he's always the one to speak up. He's always the loud mouth. And Simon Peter, he replies, you are the Christ. At this point, he got a good answer. The son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven and I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. Now, this is the point that really stuck out to me out of all of this. And it says this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That little phrase, I will build my church, really, really hit me. In a sense of a lot of times when we hear the word church, we think of the church as like someplace we belong, some which it is where we belong, but it's, it's ours. This is what I consider. This is the church. This is mine. This is what I do. And really, Jesus is saying the church is all mine. And this is actually the first reference of the church in the New Testament. And the Greek word there is, I'm going to get Greek on you, ekklesia. Can everybody say ekklesia with me? Say ekklesia. Say it again. I, I need a break. Say it's ekklesia. So, um, and that word basically means the gathering together, the assembly People coming together. So we're praying for a building, but our building is not the church. It's the people coming together that help make for the church. And a lot of times what we have to realize that as Christians, our goal and our purpose is to glorify God. And that is the church's purpose, to glorify Jesus Christ. And when we grasp that and when we understand what our purpose and what our goal is, things begin to change. And so if you could turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 12. I'm going to give a little swig of water here. You know, I used to be really embarrassed that I had to drink in the middle of a sermon until I watched uh, Eric Mason preach the sermon in a conference, and he had, like, two gallons of water up on stage just shoving the entire time. This could be a disaster for you. But as you guys turn there, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So you're going to begin to notice through these scriptures, you're going to be see this oneness in the body. There's going to be many people, but we're one. And so it is with Christ. So the body's through Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So what we just read in Matthew correlates here. The church is Christ, the body of Christ is one in Christ Jesus. Verse 14 tells us this, for the body does not consist of many members, but of me, or not, consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Now, let me ask you guys a simple question. If I had to give you a choice, and I said, would you rather keep your foot or your hand, which one would you keep? foot so you would do foot i would be like hey you ain't touching my foot or my hand i'm keeping it both and, and or we have the analogy too uh, so you you keep your foot but you get rid of your hand right so yeah that makes sense now what about your eye or your ear i feel like that's a little stupid question but oh you get rid of your eye so you keep your eye right so you keep your eye get rid of, you, 
regardless of what Paul is saying, is Paul is saying right here, he's letting us know that these things that maybe we feel like aren't that important sometimes are a lot more important than we think. Things that seem small, things that are different, that we think, well, they're not the same, but they really coincide, and they come together for a specific purpose. And verse 17 tells us this. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And I think of Monster Inc. I think of Wolverine Monster that's got the eye. What's his name? Mike Ozowski. Okay, I could not remember his name, but I didn't have time to look it up. I only had a week. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they went and said that was his middle name, too. And so we got Mike Kozowski there. Um, so that's what I think of. Now, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Now, that would be weird because what would happen is your ear would get so much earwax in it, and you'd never be able to clean it out because you're an ear, and then it would just be useless. But So where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, Paul did, Apostle Paul didn't think this through very well. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So we see the unity, and I'm going to use uh, uh, some help here in a second. But the Apostle Paul, he touches two groups of people here in, the, in this story. The first group is this, people who feel like they have nothing to contribute to the body of Christ. How many of you guys have ever felt like that? Maybe you felt like, you know what, I don't really think I have a lot to contribute to the body of Christ. You know, we see people up on stage playing instruments and singing and doing all these different things and people that are amazingly social with other people and they have all these giftings. Or maybe your past, maybe you've been through some struggles, maybe you've been through some things in your life. And you say, you know, I've, got, I've, had, I've done too much to be able, impactful towards the kingdom of God. But what Paul's saying, he's saying, no, 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 the parts that seem insignificant have great value to the kingdom of God. And then the second group of people that I think Paul is talking to here is this. They think their giftings um, that make them more necessary than others. So these are the people that they get all the credit. They get all the glory uh, on wherever it is in the body of Christ. And they think, you know, I'm way better than everybody else. And Paul is setting them straight saying, hey, you guys don't have the right heart. Your heart isn't set on that you are one body in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you guys. Um, I actually like to uh, watch NBA basketball. Is there any NBA basketball fans in here? Can you show a hand? Okay, we got one, two, three. We got two, uh, four, actually. And I was actually surprised. I was expecting nothing. But I'm an NBA fan. And I don't know if you guys watched the NBA playoffs. Uh, Paul's shaking his head. I don't know if you guys watched the NBA playoffs, but there was two teams in the playoffs. There was the Cleveland Cavaliers, and there was the Golden State Warriors. Huh? And the good team. Yeah, the Golden State. Don't ruin my analogy. The Golden State Warriors. Now, the interesting thing about the Cleveland Cavaliers is they have the best player in the world. Best player, arguably best player ever to play. Some people would say second best player to ever play. Uh, yeah, and I know it starts a fight, Michael Jordan, but that wasn't my generation. Um, but anyways, so you have LeBron James, greatest player in the world, incredible athlete, very good at what he does. He's going in the NBA Finals, and he's about ready to face a team, but he's got one problem. The best player in the world is facing the best team in the world who has the number three best player in the world, probably the top five best player in the world, and of two guys that are in the top 35 best players in the world right now. And they basically get absolutely swept. And it's not even a competition because one man's giftings wasn't enough to carry the entire team. And so what I'm going to do is I got an analogy for you guys here tonight. And uh, this is uh, kind of headed home. And the reason I actually started doing analogies, and this is always something that I kind of just half-heartedly did it, but last time I was here, October something, I preached last year, I used an analogy. 
And about a week and a half later, I actually got to preach to the youth group. And when I preached to the youth group, Pastor Tim asked us, hey, can you guys tell me what Blake talked about? And to my amazement, six kids raised their hand and said exactly what I had talked about. I was blown away. I could barely remember what I talked about. And, and what happened was it, it showed me the power of being able to share with great ministry, especially at a young age with the kids like that. So what I do, how many of you guys like to deer hunt? Anybody? Go ahead. Yeah, got trophy doe killer out there. That's a family joke. Um, yeah, she's a trophy doe killer out here. So we got a few people that like to hunt. I'm going to show you. Some of you guys may know what this stuff is. Some of you guys may not know what it is, but that's okay. These are called what? These are called sights. Okay, what does a sight use? It's used to aim. So when I'm aiming at my animal trying to take its life, what I do is I need to switch hands. I know, getting cuddly. Um, and what I do is I move my switch hand, put it right on my sister, put my about my 1 to 20-yard pin, and then we have a 30-yard pin, a 40-yard pin, and a 50-yard pin. And I use this to aim. These are probably about 8 My beast is a saber. So this is this is the big boy. I had a little junky one earlier that I, but this is the one that I like. It's about ten inches long. It's weighted on the. It's got little weights on the end. And what this purpose is is simple. When I hold out my bow, it allows me to steady what I'm aiming at. And that it's essential for me. And I notice a huge difference if I have this stabilizer or if I have another one. And then finally, actually, I'm going to pull this out. This is my arm guard. This is my one that I've had since I was 14. I actually, I actually hate this. I, I don't like this arm guard, but I, it was my like my first one that I used, and I've shot at so many trees and so many deer and so many things on accident with it. Um, and so that's what that is. So, but let me ask you guys a simple question here. I'm gonna need a test. I know it's testing for me to pull my bow here in a second. Um, these things, in and of themselves, what purpose do they serve? They're paperweights. stabilizer, $80 sight, and then also here we got a, a little old arm guard that's worth about 15 cents. And we have all these different things, but what happens is, actually I don't know if I'll see him, that's Paul Kennedy. He was actually telling me one time, I fell in one time, and he was telling me that he actually shot a man in his church, and he's like, that is an insurance liability big time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's giving you a great demonstration, yeah, and then you let go on this end. But no, this is the bow. And so here's what I want to show you. This is the junky little stabilizer. Let me see if I can get this open. So this is a stabilizer. This is not the same one. All just does is make it easier when you're walking around. And this is what it looks like for me. I have my, my rest here. I have my sights, which are not sighted in. But it's interesting. If you turn around and you go on this side, I'm checking out my bow now. It's getting distracting. So the, and it rotates. This right here is a $4, $5 little item. It's called a beauty sight. And what it does is if I just look through my sights, I'm not going to hit my target consistently. I need this little bitty item in order to be able to hit my mark. And because of that, when this all comes together, it creates something very, very powerful. And as I was at the gym, I was praying about God, what do you want me to talk about tonight? And the Lord laid on my heart the power of the church. Because when it comes together, but in and of themselves, they're useless. But together, they create something very powerful. Everybody give Pastor Paul a hand. Isn't this really great? And let me see. Hey, I'm just saying. Okay. 
I'm actually going to buy a new one here pretty soon. <laughs> but I think that's important. And I think that helps us understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And it goes on to say in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head, the feet, I have no need for you. And on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow a greater honor. And on our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which on our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the, the members that they have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let me ask you a question. Do you guys rejoice with people in your church? What about in your work environment? I don't know if you guys have ever been in a sales environment, but have you ever been in an environment where people are happy when you're doing good and they're doing bad? No. No, you know, if you guys have been in sales, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And what he's saying is rejoice with those who need rejoicing and mourn with those who need mourning. So we have two key, two key takeaways as I close here. How am I doing on time? Got like 31 minutes, 11 seconds. Two key takeaways. A properly functioning body works in unison and not dysfunction. And I believe, like I said in the beginning, the Lord has given Pastor Paul a vision for this church, his direction. I believe we're just seeing the beginning stages of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. And even today, as I was listening to Deidre, she was saying, somebody's going to be doing this here, somebody's going to be doing this, and somebody's going to be doing this. And the Lord's just establishing. And I think it's so key for us to be able to get behind that vision where there's not dysfunction, where there's unity in Christ and saying, hey, guess what? We're behind you all the way. We want to see God glorified because the church isn't about Blake. It's not about Paul. It's not about Erica. It's not about Eli. It's about Jesus Christ. And what does he say in Matthew? I will build my church because the church is all Jesus Christ. So we want to have that unity. We want to have a people coming together. And my question is this. I got lots of questions tonight. Are you fulfilling your role here at Wilderness Church of God? What is your role? What is your purpose? And it goes back to the peach site. Well, maybe I don't feel like that's a $4 peach site that makes a difference in me killing a deer and not killing a deer. I thought about bringing in my deer mounts, but I, like, I didn't want to damage them further. And anyways, I'm going to add pictures. But those little things that we deem unimportant, Paul says they're necessary. They're extremely important. And they're what we need here as the body of Christ. So be praying about what role is God wanting you to be? Because a lot of times I think we have a consumer mindset when it comes to church. I'm going to show up. And then I'm going to leave, and that's the end of it. But God's saying, no, no, no. I want to do something in you. I want to do something through you. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He washed his disciples' feet. And I believe when we have a servant heart and a servant's mentality, the kingdom of God will, will be absolutely transformed here on earth. And so in closing this, so this is my actual closing here, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, an individually member of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kind of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? All possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will surely show you a more excellent way. And then if you read 1 Corinthians, he begins to talk about love. What is having these gifts? What is having these 
things, these abilities to communicate, to sing, to dance, or whatever it is that you do. What is the point if you don't have love? The Bible says no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us. And as we think about it, what I want you guys to begin to pray about in your life is what areas of this church does the Lord want me to use my abilities? And I was telling this to the group last week. One of the things that I've always found is simply this, is when I go somewhere, I just want to start serving. I, I don't care where it's at. I just want to be used for God's kingdom. Because guess what? God's kingdom is not about Blakey. It's about him being glorified. It's about the church being unified. And as you begin to pray, begin to think, you know, what is it, a greeter? Or wherever it may be with kids or whatever aspect it is. Know this, that God's got a plan and a purpose for you in this church regardless of what you think it is. Age doesn't matter, young, old. And one of the things, too, is, you know, I mean, I, I don't know all of you, but I always want to give an opportunity for people that don't know the Lord. And very simply in this way, you know, I, I heard a quote one time, the greatest travesty is for somebody who wanted to give their life to Christ to never do so. And as every head bows and every eye closed, and a lot of people think the altar call is about them. It's not a, one thing about altar call, it never bothers me. Because it's the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives. It's the Holy Spirit moving in people's hearts. And so today, as, as we do this, I want to ask you, as everybody here, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, and I'm not talking about we give him lip service and say a little prayer, and that's that. I'm talking about if you would like to do that tonight, I'd love for you to raise your hand. Thank you.